you, Chris. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. And happy Easter, right? Or Resurrection Day, if the word Easter bugs you, right? And if it does, don't look at the eggs that the little kids are going to be hunting for a little bit later on. That'll send you up the wall. Um, but hey, if you brought a Bible with you today or a device that you look at, we're going to look at a passage that you probably have not ever really linked with Easter, but I think it is a very appropriate passage, and it's going to be in Philippians 3. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians 3. And by the way, if you don't have one, it's totally fine. We have some free ones out there on the table, but we will put everything up on the screen as well. So Philippians 3 is going to be helpful for us. It's going to show us Christ more clearly, and we're going to find out why, actually. Right? And by the way, if you're here, I just want to congratulate you on having made it to what the American church has kind of made the Super Bowl of Sundays. Lots of money has been spent this week and this month by churches all over trying to chisel into the market share that is the occasional attender, the sporadic attender. That's what I grew up in. I grew up in a family that did things like that. And so this is the week that you're going to see mailers dropped everywhere. It costs about 20 grand a pop too, by the way, to do that, to just kind of swarm a metro area with mailers. Today is going to be the day where football tickets are going to be given away. Helicopters will fly over church buildings today to drop eggs. I bet you could not rent a helicopter anywhere in the southern United States today just because church has already got dibs on it, right? And I was joking with my wife, a little bit yesterday, just recalling when we were in our second church plant in Tampa Bay, that there was a church there in the greater Tampa area that said, if you come on Easter and the four weeks after Easter, we'll write you a check. They were going to pay you to go to their church for five weeks straight, right? <laughs> Not paying any of you. We've got some cool cups with our logo on it with some candy in it. We will give you that if you come today, right? But this is the hope. The hope in doing all that is that those who traditionally see Christianity and really the church as irrelevant will today on this magical day, the Super Bowl of all days, just, I guess, discover that the church is relevant, right? And I understand the strategy. I'm not convinced it works. I don't think it's a good primary strategy because if it was, church attendance would not be plummeting. right? Church attendance is shrinking. It's growing attrition every single year in America. And I think that's because many in our country, they see Christianity as irrelevant. And if Christianity is irrelevant, then a souped-up church service isn't really going to change their mind. I mean, let's face it. If we all went out after the service today and Peyton Manning was flying a chopper over West High School and pitching eggs out with, with money inside of it, that would be cool. I would high-five you. It would be awesome. It won't make any difference to your Thursday, though, will it? Won't matter. Here's the big question I have for you today. Why does this day matter so much for you personally? Don't think about the person next to you. Don't think about the person that you wished was here with you. You. What does this day mean for you personally? I mean, if last Sunday was valuable and next Sunday is valuable, why is this day so much more valuable? You ever think about that? How will Easter help you in your normal routines? I know it sounds like an odd question. Let's look at this passage. This is Paul speaking to a young church, and we're going to jump in verse 8 of chapter 3, and he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, 
in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now here is the key passage for us today. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So how will Easter gonna, how, how's it going to help you on Wednesday, next week, in your normal routines? I mean, think about it this way. President's Day, Flag Day, they have zero impact on my life. Yours either. You don't even know what date it falls on on the calendar, do you? Right? Because nobody cares. Nobody has ever called you and said, hey, man, I'm really looking forward to having some lunch with you this week, but I got to looking on the calendar, and I saw that it's on flag day. My bad. Can we punt that into next week, find a better day? No one's ever said that to you. If they did, they just didn't want to eat with you, by the way. <laughs> All right? That doesn't mean anything. President's Day, it doesn't change where you go on date night, does it? It doesn't change the fact that you might not be able to afford date night. Flag day, it, it doesn't help you process a death. It doesn't help you raise your kids. It doesn't help you with your migraines. It doesn't lead you from depression. Hallmark does not even care about those days. Did you know that last year, Hallmark sold 7 million St. Patrick's Day cards? Did anyone get one? I didn't get one. 7 million people did. They don't care about Flag Day. They don't care about President's Day. Listen, there's about 6 or 7 or 50 days just like that on your calendar app, right? And if we were all honest, we would say that they have no bearing on our present day life. That's why whenever I say Labor Day, you immediately think three-day weekend, right? How is Easter any different in your real life? I know today it's different. I mean, I have a suit on, right? But how is, how is it gonna be different tomorrow? See, if you're here today as a Christian, it's because you're celebrating to some degree, varying degrees, you're celebrating to some degree the fact that God raised his son from the dead by the power of his spirit, that that really happened. Otherwise, it might as well just be flag day with ham, right? Just another day. But this is a special occasion. It's relevant to you and me, right? It's relevant to all of us. Sin was destroyed on the cross. We celebrate that on Good Friday. Death was defeated on Resurrection Day. That's what we get to celebrate today. Because the tomb, although it has figured out a way to hold every single person that's had a pulse, could not manage to hold down our hero and our king. Jesus himself laid death in the grave instead of staying in the grave himself. This is how John Mark McMillan says it in his song, Death in His Grave. He says, On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief but woke with the keys of hell on that day, the firstborn of the slain, the man Jesus Christ laid death in his grave. This is really the cornerstone in which we build our entire house as a Christian people, is it not? I mean, of all the doctrines we have, and we have doctrines, it is the vacant grave that takes all of our theology and hugs it together and pulls it close. Without it, our very hope comes undone. If the tomb still has a king in it, then as good as he was, as awesome as he taught, we are all still doomed. Or as Paul says, we're all to be pitied among mankind. 
I mean, we could borrow from his life lessons, we could borrow from his principles, but as far as being divine, he's divine as Gandhi, I guess, if he's still in the tomb, right? But he's not. He woke with the keys, the firstborn of victory. And Easter represents this truth, this beautiful truth that God himself smiles on all of the broken cosmos and all of the rebellion and all of, all of us, all of us failed to the core, smiles on us by giving us himself to live passionately, die passionately, and be raised again. That's a grace to you and me. That's a grace to us. We didn't deserve that. We deserve something very different. So it's a beautiful day. But still back to the question, how is it going to help your tomorrow? Or here's another way of asking it. How long is it relevant? Like, how helpful is Easter on July 22nd, November 3rd? Is Easter still in the top of your mind? I mean, when you fight with your spouse, when you figure out for the 38th time that you can't get out from underneath debt, right? When you're sick, really sick, when you worry and have anxiety, or when you can't sleep because you have so much worry and anxiety, when you can't find love, when you can't find friends, when you can't control your emotions. Is Easter helpful? I mean, does your mind go there? It's not likely, right? I mean, if you were to see somebody that weathered a really difficult season, and you came up and you said, man, listen, I, I was really encouraged by how you landed in that whole thing. I don't know that I could have done what you did. How was it that you were able to stand so strong? If they were to look in the eyes and say, easy, man, Easter. Easter did it for me. You would want them to expand. Even if they said the resurrection, you'd probably want a little bit more, right? Here's my point. The resurrection of Jesus, our Easter story, is typically something that is relegated to something very important that happened yesterday or something very important that we will image in the future. But it is rarely looked at as something very present, something that helps us in our today. Those are both important realities, looking behind us and looking forward. But what about today? What about today? Even if you love Jesus, is this day more helpful to you than St. Patrick's Day? And how? You know, Ryan Burge, he is a political scientist. He also happens to be a pastor. He is the guy that just recently found out that over 23% of Americans now identify as not religious, no religion, right? We've called them nuns here, N-O-N-E-S, in the past whenever we refer to this. Maybe this might be some of you, by the way, coming in here, and you would check the box that says not religious. The reason this is an important statistic for us here recently is because for the very first time in our country's history, that has garnered more boxes checked than the ones who check Christian. There are now more who associate with not religious than there are who associate with Christianity, right? Now, when I was born, not religious was 5%. But just in the last 15 years, it has grown 300%. The nuns and the duns are not growing. They are exploding. And for this 23%, for this 23%, Easter is just a three-day weekend. It's Labor Day with chocolate bunnies. That's all it is. But if I could be very honest and maybe very frank, I find this to be the same for the church. For the church. Sunday on steroids. But no implication for your Thursday. For your real life. For the life after this. Because it's just celebrating something that is distant. Something far off. Something that happened at one point in time a long time ago. A good thing, but distant. 
You know, at the turn of the 19th century, um, G.K. Chesterton was asked a very important question. So Chesterton was, he's like England's version of our Mark Twain, okay, just to maybe put it in context. He was kind of a poet, a philosopher, a little bit of a theologian, a humorist. Um, he, he even had the crazy hair like Mark Twain did. And he became a Christian, and a reporter approached him on a street corner in London and said, Sir, I, I realize that you just became a Christian here recently. Can I ask you a question? And G.K. said, yes, you can. He said, what if the risen Christ were to appear right next to you, right at this very moment? What would you say? And Chesterton looked at him and he said, he is here. He is here. But that's the thing, right? It's easier to see Jesus is very far away, up in the clouds somewhere, right? Far back in the past with sandals and a robe and everything stinks and is dusty. Isn't that how you imagine it? Or maybe something that's very far in the future, Maybe he's on a white horse, sword coming out of his mouth, tattoo on his leg, all victory and glory and angels. But today, like right now, like right this very second, next to you, in you, in you. It's much harder to see that. That Jesus is in you with what is called by Paul a resurrection power. A resurrection power. A spirit and a power that actually brought Jesus from the dead, from the dead. You see, in a way, Jesus is just a very irrelevant Jesus, far in distance, far in time, disconnected from your world of migraines and job hunts and Netflix and marital issues and depression and pregnancies. To have him with you right now, it seems hard to believe. To have him in you almost seems impossible. So let's look at the 10th and 11th verse again of what Paul is saying, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is simply saying that he is abandoning everything of inferior value so that he could know Jesus and experience this thing he is calling the resurrection power. With every fiber of his being, he hungers and he craves this resurrection power. And one thing he shows us is it's not yesterday's news, it is for today. There's a presentness to it, a realness to it. When we make the empty tomb yesterday's news, it's just gonna be irrelevant today. Jesus might be alive, but he's also nowhere close, right? And that's the problem. I think that's why 5% turned into 23% so very fast. But that's not how Paul is speaking of this power of resurrection. He gives it a time, he gives it a place, he says it's here, he says it's now, he says it's in you. This is what connects Easter's gift to our normal life. I wanna look at Romans 8, stay, stay where you're at, if you're in Philippians, but the same guy, Paul, speaking to another group of Christians, he says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, how? through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, the Holy Spirit, he is the one that Paul is calling the resurrection power. That is who Paul is craving. The same powerful spirit that raised a dead Jesus from the grave, folded up the clothes, is alive in every single one of God's children. If you love God today and God loves you, you have the spirit, the resurrection power alive in you, the very same spirit. Consider that for just a moment. The same 
spirit. You see, when Jesus left to go up and be with his father, he left a parting gift. And his attitude is like, hey, it's been good that I've been here with you. I've enjoyed this time. You've learned a lot from me. It's actually better that I go. It's better that I go because I'm going to send a helper. A helper. And that's exactly what happens. We see this seven weeks later, 50 days after Easter is Pentecost. Right? And that's when the church starts. Stay where you're at, Acts 2.33. It says, being therefore, this is Peter speaking, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's saying, hey, this thing that you're seeing is the church starting, day one of the Spirit-filled church. Yesterday, they didn't have the resurrection power. Today they do. Forevermore they will. That's what's happening in this passage. But that was a long time ago. What about today? What about today, right? One of the Holy Spirit's chief roles is to show Jesus clearly. It's to show Jesus clearly to you. And therefore, as Paul says, bring life to your mortal bodies, right? And listen, this might be helpful for you if you've never really understood the Holy Spirit or, or what his role is in your life. He is really all about showing Jesus clearly because we don't always see him clearly, do we? I mean, think about the spiritual gifts. Is that not what spiritual gifts are? And I'm not about to preach on the spiritual gifts. We will double-click on that in the fall and what that means. But what is a spiritual gift, whether it's hospitality or preaching or teaching or apostolic leadership, if not just to show Jesus more clearly to people who might not otherwise understand? What about salvation? Another chief Another chief role of the Holy Spirit. But that's to show you, Jesus, more clearly. As we've talked about the last several weeks, we, we enter this world, we've got this heart of stone. It can't feel, it can't see, it doesn't understand its own need. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power, that heart of stone is pulled out. It talks about this in Ezekiel 11. And then a heart of flesh is put in, a heart that can feel, a heart that can see the blood on our hands, a heart that understands its own need, and a heart that sees Jesus clearly for what he has done and says, oh my God, what have I done? Oh my God, what have you done? And the becomes a Christian. You didn't manufacture that, church. The Holy Spirit did that in you. Why? Because his role is to show Jesus clearly. Even in John 14 and John 16, if you go back and you read that a little bit, it talks about how we even understand who Jesus is by reading this word and how the Holy Spirit makes him evident and clear to us. So we see clearly because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of God that Paul talks about, brings us close to Jesus. It's the gift of all gifts, the Spirit of God, this resurrection power. It is our Easter gift. Happy Easter. It is God's gift to you. We are the Easter people. Now, Paul is calling it a resurrection power instead of just the Holy Spirit because the Spirit brings life to things that are dead, and we need this, don't we? I mean, how many of here, if you walked in, maybe you felt a little dead, rejection, Depression, confusion, sadness, anger, right? We usually take all those things and say we're frustrated, but you know what I mean. It's something to feel dead, isn't it? To feel broken down. When life begins to grind you up and just spit you out, and you feel like you just cannot for the life of you catch a break, doesn't it feel like you're buried? Like you're dead. With all of your best attempts, your most noble of motives, you can't seem to increase your station in this world. 
the Holy Spirit and his resurrection power proved to be a very good helper. A very good helper and a very good friend. Lifting us from our dark valleys, showing us Christ when we desperately need to see our beautiful Jesus. Fixing our hearts in encouraged places, planting our feet on steady ground. I don't know about you, the Holy Spirit is a best friend to me when I just have a really hard time standing and not cratering. My deepest temptation is to be a total coward. And by God's spirit, I'm, I find courage. I didn't make that up though. It didn't come from me. I find an unwillingness to run away and to escape into self-destruction and medication. That's not me. I find myself wanting to let go instead of hold tight and the Holy Spirit gives me endurance. It's a very, very, very relevant power for a very, very needy people. This is how Brennan Manning says it. I find this to be very helpful for me. He says, resurrection power enables us to engage in the savage confrontation with untamed emotions to accept the pain, receive it, take it on board, however acute it may be. And in the process, we discover that we are not alone, that we can stand fast in the awareness of present risenness and so become fuller, deeper, richer disciples. I need this so bad. I need to know that I am not alone, that I'm not alone when I have my own savage confrontations and I'm onboarding pain all the time. I need to know that I'm not alone. Certainly I have Jesus behind me, leaving a tomb in mockery. Certainly I have a Jesus in front of me, waiting, preparing a place. But I also have a Jesus with me and a Jesus in me because of the empty tomb. You know, I've been a Christian for just over 23 years. And in all honesty, I think I've experienced the new car smell wear off a little bit as life has marched forward. I've lived long enough to appreciate that Christianity has lived more in the valley and the trenches than in the mountaintops. But in those moments or sometimes seasons, the Holy Spirit encourages me by telling me I'm not alone and showing me Jesus clearly. Those moments are shared. Christ has felt what I'm feeling. If you're suffering, he feels what you are feeling. He's ahead of you. He's ahead of you. He's tempted like you're tempted. He's cried tears just like you have. He understands us better than we understand ourselves. Consider what the psalmist says in the 23rd Psalm. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you kicked evil out of there? Because you erased evil? Because you moved evil aside? He says, no, I fear no evil because you are with me. You're sharing that space with me, sharing that moment with me. The rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, when I'm suffering, I'm sharing that with Jesus. He's crying my tears and he's feeling my pain. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. Whatever you walked in here with, you're not alone. It's his resurrection power, though, that brings us close to him where life is really found. That's what makes this relevant, right? I could have handed out some football tickets. I'm sure we could have figured that out. This is far more relevant, far more relevant. See, if you're a Christian, right, you probably know this, and this might be helpful if you're not a Christian, but that speck of time between what we call salvation, when we become a new creation, 
between that time and glorification, when we see Christ as clearly as he sees us, everything in between is where we behold Jesus and grow to look more like him as the days go on. It's the, it's the everyday stuff of the middle, right? Where we see Jesus and we grow. But this growth even is by the resurrection power that Paul is speaking about. The Holy Spirit is who really changes you and me to look very differently than we did yesterday. I mean, we see this in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. He says, we don't find despair. We don't touch depression. We don't get panicky. We don't get shaky. Even though we're falling apart, let's all be honest, joints coming apart, we have to take all kinds of stuff to keep our joints from working, you know, improperly. Um, eyes are doing weird things. My posture's starting to crouch in. I'll probably be an inch and a half shorter in the next 20 years. Our bodies are coming unstitched. They just are. Chaos has found the human frame. We all know that. But even, even though, even though, inside in the spirit, we look more and more and more like Jesus as the days march on. That is fascinating to me. That's by the Holy Spirit that we can do that. This growth of you looking like Jesus, it's you looking like the better version of yourself, as if there had been no fall. You ever think about what you would look like if sin had never touched you? Your emotions, your mind, your body. How, how would you look? How would you interact with people? We're growing, and God is not going to fashion you into some robotic performer, but into the image of the Son of God himself, who is the image of God. Now, how does this happen? Paul says earlier in the same letter, he says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, Paul says, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, Paul longed to know Jesus deeper, and he knew no matter what the cruddy situation he had in front of him, he had a few cruddy situations. Read about it, right? Check up on that. You can fact check me. He had a few. He knew that true life would come whenever he was closest to his Lord. That's what he hungered for, and with every fiber in his being as well, and he knew that he couldn't manufacture this. The Holy Spirit would bring it. For Paul, more Jesus was better than the problem disappearing. He would just choose more Jesus, right? Paul knew that the best place in the world for him is where he would be most satisfied with God and where he was most satisfied and content in the Lord would be where the Lord was most glorified in him. So he didn't mind the valleys. Not if Jesus was going to be there. Not if the Holy Spirit was giving him clear view of Christ himself. He didn't mind the valleys. In fact, if you read, he was thankful for the valleys. How about that? because he got more God in all of it. Without this resurrection power that was inaugurated on Easter, without this resurrection power that empties graves, let's just agree that life is useless. It's just really dumb otherwise. What is it about? Just patching together paychecks until we hopefully have enough to retire someday? Maybe pick up a hobby or two, or an addiction, or a marriage or two, hoping to just string together enough good days and maybe keep the bad ones at bay. I mean, is that really going to be the goal? Is that how life is going to be? And when we do find a bad day without this Holy Spirit active, we're just going to be found trying to create our own good, our own good, looking for escape, because onboarding pain 
in savage confrontations, they hurt. So we start trying to find other goods to escape into, anything that money can buy, anything that our minds can conjure. It's a very long list of things that we can carry into our lives to make the bad days just not so bad. That's a world without meaning, where everything shifts. Darkness becomes normal. Futility becomes just standard operating procedure. Nothing's really worth doing. Nothing endures. Nothing is more than it seems. Everything is noise. Everything is without significance. That is life without the resurrecting power of God. That is life without the Holy Spirit coursing through our veins. This resurrection power that Paul is so fascinated with, it helps us, you, see Jesus clearly as the greater good in a world with a bunch of goods. And all day, every day, we're being reshaped into the image of Jesus by his spirit and by his power. And everything that happens to you between now and the time you see him face to face is designed to that end. That alters what's relevant. That alters what's significant. It actually takes your savage confrontations, as Manning says, and it brings significance to it meaning to it. Even the bad days, it brings meaning to them because they're all part of God's determined plan to sustain you. Even the worst days and put you in pleasant places. He says to the Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This means that when you're feeling dead, covered up, and everything's coming undone, God's Easter gift to you and his resurrecting power is to bring you close to him so you can see him clearly and find significance. Listen, this Easter, let me ask you some questions. Chris, you can go ahead and come on up, buddy. This Easter, what are you turning to to cope to? What good has convinced you that it is more good than Jesus? What are you escaping into as you onboard pain, as you have savage confrontations with the emotions, as you struggle and fight and claw and scrap? What has convinced you that it is better? And can you see Jesus clearly? Do you feel him close to you? Or is he historical? Is he theoretical? Or is he real? My big petition for you big application is that you would ask God for this Easter gift, this resurrecting power, to do one thing, to give you clear view of Jesus and his beauty and his love for you. That he doesn't just love you, but he likes you. That he shows you Jesus. Go ahead and stand with me. The empty tomb is God's way of saying to you and to me, that even the worst moments God will take and breathe life into them. Hear me, I think that's happening even today. If you've been reading the news, you've probably seen that there have been bombings, church bombings already in Sri Lanka, over 150 dead, probably over 1,000 at this point injured. Churches being targeted, specifically Christian churches targeted, right? Isn't it ironic? Isn't it interesting that the best the world can do to the church is try to destroy the church on the same day that Jesus showed us that he destroys death itself. Don't you think Jesus can do something? Don't you think the Holy Spirit is moving in that moment? 
Don't you think that more people are going to become radical Christians because of that? Look at history. Read the book of Acts. God does especially well whenever there's persecution. The Holy Spirit is very agile amidst even the deepest persecution. Evil's not going to win at Sri Lanka. I bet churches are planted out of that. The empty tomb is God taking even death itself and bringing his presence close to people who don't deserve it. That's a good gift for you and me. We have a power, a resurrection power. I also think some of you in here are probably seen clearly maybe for the first time. Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're a searcher. And maybe this is a day that that heart of stone feels a little bit more fleshly. You could feel. You see sin. You own the sin. You see the darkness of the sin. You see your personal need. And then at the same time, you see how beautiful Jesus has been for you. How much he's cared for you. How much he's come close to you. Friend, if that is you, this is a fantastic day for you. This is a fantastic day. If that is you, man, Easter's a great day to see and to confess Jesus as Lord. What a cool day for that to happen. Let me pray for you, and then Chris is going to lead us through something that's become tradition for us here at Legacy. Father, I thank you, and just as we move into this next little section as Chris introduces our worship, just want to thank you for Thank you for taking even the most painful moments that we have, even the most despondent times that we, that we have, and we just can't even see up from down. And by the power of your resurrecting Holy Spirit, you turn our gaze and turn our attention to a tomb that has nothing in it. That even the worst moment in the history of mankind has been reversed by your powerful Holy Spirit, and that same Spirit exists in your church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your resurrecting power. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for liking us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, buddy. Thanks, Luke. As Luke said, this, is, uh, this has become tradition for us on Easter. And so what this is, this is an excerpt from the final section of one of the earliest uh, Easter sermons ever preached, about 167 A.D., so if, you, if you're a partner of Legacy Church, you've been here, you know, more than a few years, you know that we read this. Um, I'm going to read part of it. I'm going to ask you to read some of it with me. So I'll, I'll let you know when that is. But, but this is a beautiful example of what today's about and, and just, just, just capitalizes on this moment. So as we, as we read this and we, we enter into a time of, of, of worship uh, through, through our song uh, and praise, I just ask that you, you just have a heart this morning for for the, for the empty tomb, for Jesus. So let's read this together. <clears throat> or you don't read this part, I'm reading this part. When the Lord had clothed himself with humanity and had suffered for the sake of the sufferer and had been bound for the sake of the imprisoned and had been judged for the sake of the condemned and buried for the sake of the one who was buried, he rose up from the dead and cried aloud with this voice, who is he who contends with me? Let him stand in opposition to me. I set the condemned man free. I gave the dead man life. I raised up the one who had been entombed. Who is my opponent? Now read with me. I, he says, am the Christ. I am the one who destroyed death and triumphed over the enemy and trampled Hades underfoot and bound the strong one and carried off man to the heights of heaven. I, 
he says, am the Christ. Therefore, come, all families of men, you who have been befouled with sins and received forgiveness for your sins. Pause. He says, I am your forgiveness. I am the Passover of your salvation. I am the lamb which was sacrificed for you. I am your ransom. I am your light. I am your savior. I am your resurrection. I am your king. I am leading you up to the heights of heaven. I will show you the eternal father. I will raise you up by my right hand. Read with me. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth, who in the beginning created man, who was proclaimed through the law and prophets, who became human via the virgin, who was hanged upon a tree, who was buried in the earth, who was resurrected from the dead, who ascended to the heights of heaven, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who has authority to judge and to save everything, through whom the Father created everything from the beginning of the world to the end of the age. Pause. This is the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and the Omega. This is the beginning and the end, an indescribable beginning and incomprehensible end. This is the Christ. This is the King. This is Jesus. This is the general. This is the Lord. This is the one who rose up from the dead. This is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. He reveals the Father and is revealed by the Father. To whom be the glory and power forever. Amen. Father God, we love you. God, we love you not just today but every day. God, we love <clears throat> and, we, and we are so thankful that you sent your son, your one and only son, to live and die for us in our place. God, and then, yes, he, he left so that the, the better one could come, the, the greater one could come, the Holy Spirit, so that he, that he would reside in our hearts, that he would reside in our souls. God, that he would be, the Holy Spirit would be the power that would send us out. The Holy Spirit would be the, the, the drawer of those you, you want us to come into contact with, God, those that, that you place in our path, God, that, that the aroma that we carry is the aroma of your son, but not of death, not the aroma of death, but the aroma of life, the life that only your son gives, and by the power of your spirit we receive. And so, God, we want to rest today in an empty tomb. We want to rest today in the fact that your son gave it all for us, he took the full wrath of God on himself. He became sin for us so that we might have a place, so that we might have a future home, so that we might be brought into glory and swept up among the saints. So God, I pray that we live a life, God, that is in, God, that is in glory and honor to you. I pray that when we leave here today, that we don't just we don't just forget this moment, that we carry this moment out to our workplaces, to our homes, to our relationships, to our friends, God, to those that don't know you, to the, to the nuns and duns, to the people that, that don't want anything to do with your church, that don't want anything to do with you, God, they don't, they've, been, they've been abused, they've been hurt by you, God, or not by you, but by others, God, that, that, that represents you. God, we want to show them the true Christ. We want to show them a Father that loves Father that loves so much that he gave up his only son. So God, we ask that you would, 
you would you would send your Holy Spirit today, God, to, to worship so that we, we, we can glorify and honor you as we worship today, God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.